0: Our reading this evening is from St. John, the 11th chapter, which you can find on page 897 in your pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along. Page 897, a reading from St. John, the 11th chapter. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha, So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then, after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, Not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. O Lord, have mercy on us. Amen. One of the themes that comes out from the Gospel of John is that people, when they talk with Jesus, are often talking past him. They often think that he's talking about one thing when, in fact, he is talking about something quite different. So remember the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, You must be born again. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus says, What do you mean I should go back into my mother's womb? How could that be possible? They're having a different conversation. They're talking past each other. Jesus is saying one thing, and Nicodemus thinks he's talking about something completely different. Jesus is talking on one level, and Nicodemus is operating on a completely different level. That holds true throughout the Gospel of John. So when you read the Gospel of John, when you look at the things that Jesus says and the conversations he has, pay attention to that, and you'll see that often what is going on is a confusion of terms. The people think that Jesus is talking about earthly things, earthly bread, for instance, when, in fact, he's talking about heavenly things, heavenly bread. The same thing holds true for our lesson today. In John chapter 11, we have a fourth, a fifth, actually, of the statements that Jesus makes where he says, I am, where he makes clear that he is the Lord God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We've had, I am the bread of the life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And today, today we have, I am the resurrection, and the life. One of the striking things about this conversation, though, that Jesus has with Martha is that as faithful as Martha is, as much as her response to Jesus seems to be believing, he still kind of seems to correct her in what she says. So she comes to Jesus and she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lazarus would not have died. She says that, Mary says that, All of the Jews who have come to see what is going on, they all say that. This fellow, he can heal the blind. He certainly could have saved this man from death. It's kind of a foreshadowing of what happens to Jesus while he's hanging from the cross. If you are the Son of God, why don't you come down from there? If you are the Son of God, if you are who we all believe you are, why couldn't you have kept Lazarus from dying? But Martha is faithful, and she says to Jesus, If you had been here, you could have kept him from dying, but I know now that whatever you ask your father, your father will give you. Jesus questions her a little bit. He says, Your brother will rise again. And she says, I know that he will rise on the last day. I know that he will rise on the last day. That sounds like an excellent answer. It sounds like she understands everything that Jesus has taught. And yet, there is something missing He corrects her, almost. He doesn't say, yes, you've got it right, Martha. Yes, you understand perfectly. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. She says, I know I will see my brother again on the last day. And Jesus says, no, that's not quite right. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus, when he talks about life, when he talks about resurrection, is talking on a different plane than the way people like you and I or Martha or Mary or the Jews or the disciples tend to think. When we think about the resurrection, we assume that it is something like more of this life. That it is this life eternally. But Jesus has something completely different in mind. A different kind of life. Not a corruptible life, not a life lived according to the flesh but a life lived according to the Spirit, lived in the Son of God. I want to draw a distinction between those two different kinds of life, and here's a way that maybe you've never heard it described before. It's a difference between a life which is consumed, a life which is consumed, and a life which is lived. A life which is consumed and a life which is lived. Those are two completely different things. Most people in this world, anybody who does not believe in Jesus, consumes life. It's an extension of the way that we do lots of things in this life as consumers. We just receive things that are given to us and we absorb them into ourselves. We take things. We are always accumulating. We consume. We are consumers. But life is not meant to be consumed. It's not meant to be used up. It's not meant to be expendable. But most people recognize that time is ticking away, that their days are numbered. Most people recognize that there's some wisdom in that old phrase, carpe diem, seize the day. You don't know whether tomorrow will be there for you, and so seize the day today. Live to your fullest now. Get the most out of today right now. It's actually a pretty honest appraisal of life. It's a pretty honest appraisal. It's like, I was thinking about a baseball analogy for this. It's like if you're playing a baseball game, your team is in the bottom of the ninth inning, but you're down a hundred runs, okay? You're never coming back from that deficit. The game is almost over. And so you say to yourself, what are my options here? You're up to bat, two outs in the bottom of the ninth. You're down by a hundred runs. What could you do? Well, you could kind of just throw up your hands and say, what's the point of doing any of this anyways, right? So you say, forget about it. I'm just going to slog through life. I'm going to Despair. What's the point of any of this? Or you could say, seize the day. You know, I'm going to try and go out in a blaze of glory. I'm going to aim for the stands. I'm going to swing for the stands. I'm going to try to hit a home run. No, we can't win this game, but I'm going to try and knock the ball out of the park. So you say, I want to make the most of this situation right now. I want to make the best of a bad situation. That's what that kind of philosophy, that carpe diem philosophy, really promotes. Life is short. Life is meant for being consumed. Eat it up. Make the most of it right now. There's another idea which has actually become more popular nowadays, the idea that maybe, maybe there is actually some way that you could live forever. It probably involves you getting hooked up to a machine, or maybe they take your brain out of your head and put it in a jar. And yeah, you're living forever. Maybe your brain the blood is still flowing through your body. Maybe something is happening. But is that really life? Having your brain in a jar on a shelf, is that really life? It's more like being up to bat with... Two outs in the bottom of the ninth and there's a hundred run deficit and you're just hitting foul balls over and over and over again just to pretend like the game is still going. It's an illusion. It's not real life. But those are the kinds of things that people tend to do when they realize, when they realize that the days that they have are numbered and maybe they should make the most of it. Maybe they should try and find some way around the problem that they face with this consumable, this expendable, this perishable life. But in most cases, as you can gather, that is not actually living. It's not actually living. In fact, it is much more like dying. I've said that to you before, and I think it's worth observing that to live that way is really just to acknowledge that from the moment you take your first breath, from before that, from the moment you have your first heartbeat, from the moment you're conceived, in some sense you're not actually living, you're just dying. You enter into this world to die. If that's your outlook, if that's all you have, then of course, carpe diem, seize the day. Or put your brain in a jar and put it on the shelf and see what happens, of course. But that is not what Jesus means when he says that he is the resurrection and the life. That is not what Jesus means when he says that he has come to give you life and life in abundance. He does not mean that he wants you to just sort of throw up your hands and go out with a whimper or go out with a bang or to go out... (laughs) Uh, just hoping that your life will go on forever. He does not want you to do any of those things. He wants you to hear his words. Listen carefully. I am the resurrection and the life. Mary and Martha and the Jews come to Jesus and they sort of accuse him of a kind of failure. Look, you could have kept Lazarus from dying. You could have prevented him from dying. But Jesus is not here merely to prevent people from dying. He's not here just to slow down the process or prolong it or postpone it. It is not enough just to rise on the last day to a life like this one. Jesus is here to give a new life, his own life. What he means for you and for me and for Mary and Martha and Lazarus and anyone who will hear him is to give his own life for the life of the world his own life for his people, so that the life you live in the resurrection is not more of the same. It is not merely to be consumed. It is not merely dying, but it is truly living. That is the great hope that we have in Jesus, that on the last day we will not simply rise from the dead, but that we will rise in Christ. That our lives will be bound up in His. That we're not simply receiving from Him more life that we can consume, but we're receiving life in Him. That He is giving us His own life. I think it is extremely difficult to conceptualize what heaven will be like. For lots and lots of reasons. Mostly because we've never experienced it. But also because the things that are beautiful and precious about eternal life in Christ, are things that are so foreign to our experience in this world. In fact, they are the solution, the resolution of what is wrong with our world. Among the great joys of heaven will be that, like Jesus, you love perfectly. That, like Jesus, you will not think about yourself selfishly. You won't live for yourself. You won't use other people. You won't consume them. You won't be concerned with consuming life. But you will love perfectly. Think about all the examples of the joys that Jesus experienced while he was here on earth. What were the joys? The things that he experienced that made him rejoice. Think about, for instance, what it was like for him to open his arms and to welcome the little children. The disciples wouldn't have it. Send them away, he said, but no. Let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of God. His joy was to see his kingdom, his love, shared even with the least and the lowliest. Think about his joy in healing the sick, in showing compassion to those who had need. Think about that perfect joy that he experienced by making someone well, making someone whole. That joy, those joys, the joy of bringing new life to someone, those joys will be yours in heaven as well because your life won't be just more life to consume like this life but it will be his life if you want to picture what life in heaven will be like what the resurrection is like look at jesus no you won't be jesus you won't be taking his place at the father's right hand but your life will be bound up in his i think the only trouble we have with thinking that way is that so often As much as we might admire Jesus, we don't actually want to be like him. That's our sinful nature, still fighting against the Holy Spirit. Why wouldn't you want to be like Jesus? To live in perfect love. To live in the perfect joy of the Father. To have the words of the Father, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. When you want to think about what eternal life will be like, what the resurrection will be like, look at the life of Jesus. That will be your life as well. There's a stark difference between what even Mary and Martha and the Jews think Jesus is talking about and what he's actually delivering. He is not just giving more life, but a new life. That is what he gives to you every time you hear his word. So that even now while you look around you and in your own flesh you see nothing but decay and you're tempted to try to seize the day... Or to try to prolong your life as long as you can. To put off death as long as you can. Say no to all of that. Because you know that not only do you have a promise of eternal life, but you have Christ right now. As his words enter into your ears and his promises enter into your heart, you have Christ, which means you have the resurrection right now. So that what Jesus says to Martha, even though the one who believes in him shall die, yet shall he live. Even though you see your flesh waste away, yet shall you live forever. Hold fast to those promises. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because you live in a world that is constantly trying to take that away from you. Constantly trying to tell you that it is otherwise, that those promises aren't true. They can't possibly be true. But the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who healed the blind man, the God who raised Lazarus from the dead, means to do something even greater for you. To raise you in perfection. Not merely holding off death, but overcoming death. Not merely keeping you from the grave, but pulling you out of the grave and closing its doors forever. That is the great hope of Easter, which we are so close to celebrating. Hold fast to that hope and look to him. To God alone be all glory, now and forever, Amen.